Hello, and a warm welcome to this edition of the Africa Legal Podcast. Today, we are hosting a discussion with two of our sector champions as part of our work with the UK Ministry of Justice for the upcoming UK Africa Legal Services Spring Conference taking place on the 22nd of April. Now, to register for this must-attend event, simply follow the link in the podcast description. Now, in alignment with the event's key themes, we are working with pairs of leading lawyers from the UK and African law firms to explore the most pressing issues affecting the most vibrant of sectors where the UK and African markets most commonly interact. These sectors are international trade, telecoms, media and technology, extractives and financial services. And I could not be happier to be joined today by our sector champions for telecoms, media and technology, or TMT, as it's more commonly known. These being Sandra Oyawoli and Jennifer Baluto. A little bit of an introduction from our guests. Sandra Oyawoli is a partner at Olajide Oyawoli LLP, a member firm of DLA Piper Africa. Sandra provides legal services on a multitude of issues in the media, sports, entertainment, and technology sectors. She is committed to the creation of structure within the creative and innovative sectors, and this includes the strengthening of Nigeria's anti-piracy and intellectual property laws and policies. Jennifer Baluto is a partner and co-head of East Africa at Clifford Chance. Jennifer specializes in M&A and related commercial transactions in the telecoms, media, and technology sectors, and has a focus on emerging markets, particularly Africa. She is a member of the firm's Africa Group and TMT leadership team. So, Sandra and Jennifer, a very warm welcome to the podcast. Let's dive right into some questions, shall we? And I'm going to start with Sandra. Sandra, Developments from a commercial and business standpoint in relation to the Nigerian TMT sector are often hitting the headlines. But what's the perception or reality of government regulation and oversight keeping up with the breakneck speed of the changes that we're often being alerted to? Thank you very much for that question, Tom. Um, With my intellectual property background, working in the media, sports and entertainment space, as well as technology, we are no strangers to how quickly creativity and innovation can move ahead. Not only can they move ahead quickly, um, the law tends to struggle to keep up. If we look at where we are today, we're smack bang in the middle of the fourth industrial revolution. The speed, the scope of the innovation is unbelievably fast. Laws and regulations, as I said, tend to play catch up. How much more during this fourth industrial revolution? Not to mention the fact that um, we are in the middle of a pandemic and digitization has been accelerated in a way like we've never seen before. This has all directly impacted on how quickly regulations can be promulgated Um, And as we all know, regulations directly impact the innovative process. The impact can be both positive on the one hand or negative on the other. And this takes me to my next point, which is that when you look at telecoms, media and technology, these are all crucial to our economies and to the development of countries across the African continent. 
the ecosystems are huge. However, some of our operators will tell you that regulations are restrictive and stifle innovation and growth. Some have argued that there should be no regulation whatsoever. However, in my opinion, companies do need to be regulated. Otherwise, there will be room for cheating. And one of the things that uh, one of my partners in telecoms likes to always say when we have these conversations, and I'm talking particularly about uh, Mike Conradi, is that effective regulation is there to encourage competition. It is there to foster innovation. And it is also there to protect consumers. And my last point in responding to this particular question is that what really are the purpose of regulations? I mean, they are subsidiary to the Principal Act. They help to drive policy. I mean, if you, if you look at um, uh, data protection, the data protection regulations in Nigeria, um, they amplify and emphasize the Nigerian Data Protection um, Act. Um, regulations also help to provide greater clarity where processes, guidelines, and procedures are concerned. It's actually very, very important that regulators understand the sector, that they understand the business that they are in, so that any regulations that are being promulgated make sense and are practical and don't stifle regulation. Um, regulations should also be amended periodically because in the TMT sector, things are evolving fast and uh, the regulations have to keep up. It's also very important, I think, to note that um, regulators should not be operators. Unfortunately, these are some of the things that we tend to see. And when a regulator is also an operator, it can leave room for regulations to be skewed. Um, and we have seen that very unfortunately in these sectors. And the last um, point under this that I will make is that there is really no way for regulations to keep up, but it is important that we do have those regulations in place and whatever, whatever regulations we have in place don't stifle innovation and that they leave room for growth and development. And I would say I'm in, I'm in total agreement with those points, Sandra. You know, I think recognising that a wall of legislation and regulation cannot keep up with breakneck innovative speeds is all well and good, but that doesn't discount its validity and its necessity. You know, a, a level playing field being created, even if that playing field isn't at, you know, 20,000 feet <laughs> with the innovation analogy, it's still important to have that level playing field. Um, so I'm in, I'm in agreement that that balance needs to be struck. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see how we continue to strike that balance as the innovation shows no signs of uh, being slowed or abated. I absolutely agree with you, Tom. And um, one thing that countries on the continent uh, can do is learn from other countries, particularly in Asia and Europe, to see how they have balanced innovation and regulation at the same time. Because at the end of the day, you want regulation that allows for economic growth, but you also want regulation that uh, protects the consumer. So that balance is very, very important. 
Now, speaking of taking inspiration from other jurisdictions, I'll I'll turn to Jennifer for my next question here. Now, Jennifer, African governments and, and sometimes corporates have often turned to UK law and regulation as a blueprint for their own development. But are there specific examples which spring to mind as exemplifying the success of this approach? And interestingly, on the flip side, where do you think African-born regulations or laws are actually pushing ahead of the UK potentially in terms of their efficiency, uh, effectiveness or future readiness? Thank, thank you, Thomas. I think those are really good questions. And I think I totally e- echo what Sandra had said just in terms of the need for regulation to um, to facilitate rather than stifle. And I think it's fair to say that certainly not, no one can sit here and claim to <laughs> have the magic bullet that strikes that balance. But, um, you know, just looking at what you've asked around kind of the role the UK has played, um, it's an interesting question to be answering in the context of Brexit, actually, because a lot of the good examples come out of European legislation, but that was very much inspired by UK legislation. So please allow me to reference some of that legislation because, as I say, it's been hugely um, inspired by the UK. So, you know, a really good example is the the GD, what we commonly know as the GDPR, which is the General Data Protection Regulation. And this is an EU regulation that has been, you know, adopted across the EU, as I say, you know, very heavily influenced by UK legislation And we've seen very strong adoption of legislation across key African countries that is inspired by GDPR. And for those listeners that do not know about this legislation, this is legislation that came into force in 2018 that requires businesses to essentially protect personal data. So it prescribes the manner in which personal data and sensitive personal data is to be stored and controlled and shared and transferred, uh, both within the EU and out of the EU. And I think what's been really good about this legislation is that it has really set what I see as a global um, standard and framework it's not perfect. And actually, you know, some, some people have argued that, you know, some of the, you know, you know, some of the fines, you know, 4% of, you know, global turnover is hugely punitive. But this is actually one of those areas where, you know, going to Sandra's point around protecting the consumers, where it is so critical to ensure that businesses are using this data responsibly. And actually, when you look at where, where things have moved since 2018 when the GDPR was put put into place. You know, businesses have moved on from data compliance to data monetization, you know. And so you sort of ask yourself the question, okay, the GDPR has taken us so far in terms of, you know, what businesses need to do to protect personal data. Businesses are doing that. They've put in place, you know, consent frameworks. They've put in place, you know, 
systems to um, to anonymize personal data, but then you've got this whole universe um, of anonymized data that is hugely valuable to businesses and how do they monetize that? And so the next question is around whether the legislation we have in place is sufficient to ensure that monetization is being done in a fair way and that remains to be seen. But I really see GDPR as one example where, you know, the UK, you know, through its influence in EU legislation has led the way in putting in place a you know a global framework that's been quite useful for Africa and I know for example Kenya is in the process of implementing GDPR that came into force towards the end of last year they've got a you know a commissioner in place I know that South Africa is 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 doing the same I think businesses have up to the end um, of this month to comply and so um, that's a really um, good example the other area where I think the UK has sort of led the way um, and been quite bold is around around um, digital services tax. So we know that um, the UK uh, has has, in, has put in place the digital services tax, which will look to tax um, the um, revenues derived by, you know, social media businesses and social media platforms, search engines and online marketplaces. Um, I, I think it is an area that was a subject of huge debate globally. You know, should these tech companies pay taxes on revenues they derive locally. And, you know, the UK has been, you know, one of the countries that has led the way, you know, following France and and a few other countries in the EU. But we've seen Kenya do the same. Uh, We've seen South Africa going in the same direction. And I think when you look at the African context in particular, this is so critical because technology is such a huge driver for GDP growth in Africa. So I would argue this type of legislation is needed even more so um, in Africa where we do need that uh, government revenue to build infrastructure to support support our people. And so, again, you know, that's a really good example. And then the third one, uh, very quickly, is around merger control. and this cuts across all sectors, not, not just technology, where we have begun to see um, countries within within Africa that are part of a regional block like Comesa begin to take a more unified approach towards merger control, which again, you know, follows very much um, the approach that's been taken in the past within Europe. And, you know, some of the principles around merger control legislation, um, around, you know, defining what control is, defining what significant influence is for the purposes of merger control are very much um, inspired by UK legislation. And as I say, we're beginning to see a lot more um, of that happening across the region in terms of, you know, more clarity as to what transactions are notifiable, what constitutes control, what constitutes uh, significant influence. And I think this will go beyond major control into looking into, you know, dominant, um, you know, issues of, you know, market dominance and how you begin to regulate that. I could give many more examples, but I'm going to pause there, Thomas. Those are fantastic examples. Um, Just just what I was after. And look, uh, do you feel that African governments have been given enough time or opportunity to be some of those finesses, as it were. You know, we're seeing wholesale adoption in in Poppy in South Africa and the, the Kenyan data protection regulations and so on, which um, you know, is, is big chunks of the GDPR text being being you know localized and then gazetted. 
have we seen examples of the improvements or the tweaking being done by African governments and, and legislators as of yet? And it, or is that to come? Uh, that's a very good question, Thomas. And actually, you've reminded me that I didn't call out areas where the, you know, I think that Africa is leading the way. But I'll start with your question first. I think we have seen some tweaking in a very interesting space that is actually worth mentioning. And this, this is around, you know, data sovereignty and countries treat, you know, uh, viewing data um you know, as a, as, as a sovereign asset that should be protected. And I think we've seen this becoming more of a focus in African countries and, you know, and, and some of the areas of tweaking that I've observed or that I think will be potential areas of tweaking is around data localization. So going beyond just protection of, you know, personal data, but as I said, you know, looking forward towards monetization, you know, again, you've got countries like, you know, Nigeria and Kenya and, um, and, 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 and some South Africa that are really looking into that area and making sure that they're requiring data that is being generated locally to be, to the extent possible, stored locally, particularly um, data within, you know, you know, financial, um, financial um, data. So what banks, you know, all the data around sort of financial information that banks, um, that banks generate. Um, and I think that's a very, very interesting um, area to watch because I think that's one area where there is divergence. But I see a lot of value, um, even though one could debate either way, I see a lot of value, particularly from an Africa perspective, in having laws that seek to some extent um, uh, promote uh, the local um, storage um, of, of, of data. You know, we don't, you know, at the moment, you know, you've got situations where, you know, data is generated in a particular country in Africa, you know, stored in somewhere in Silicon Valley or in Europe and analyzed out there and then used and monetized back in the country. And I think that that is something that African regulators need to watch out for. It's a great point, uh, Jennifer, and it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes in relation to cloud computing and cloud storage, which was from a wonderfully um, cynical IT friend of mine when he said, cloud, don't make me laugh, it's just someone else's computer. (laughs) Uh, which I I think is very true in some senses. And, you know, we've seen, you know, in the extractive space, for example, the localization, the nationalization of of, of product, which is created within a country's borders. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how one could try and control, monitor, and, and share in the monetization of something as fluid, as truly fluid as data. But, you know, that's that's something that I think we'll be keeping a close eye on. And thanks very much for your thoughts there. Um, Sandra, my next question for you, and we cannot escape it, it is a COVID one. Um, I feel like every single podcast I host has one of these, but I think this is actually a very, very relevant one indeed. Now, how has COVID impacted upon the kind of advice, guidance and services your TMT customers are demanding of you? Uh, You know, as a traditionally more progressive sector, when it comes to things like technological utilization, working flexibly, do you feel that the African TMT sector is one of the best place, uh, best placed even to accelerate from out under the COVID cloud? Thank you very much for that question, Tom. And it is a big question. Uh, Thankfully, Jennifer has paved uh, the way for me to answer this question 
with um, what she had to say about data protection. And I absolutely agree with you, Jennifer, when you say that whilst the GDPR isn't perfect, for us, it is actually the gold standard. And that is actually the basis for the response that I'm going to give to the very first part of your question, Tom, which is um, how COVID has actually impacted on the kind of advice that we are giving and the kind of advice that is being asked for. If we look at the TMT sectors, you're looking at telcos, media companies, tech companies. These are multinationals. Some of them are Nigerian. Some of them are not Nigerian. Um, some are operational. Some are in startup mode. The ecosystem is huge. And these companies are all collecting, processing, and transferring data. The use of data has increased exponentially. And that correlates with data loss and cyber threats. Not a day goes by when we're not reading about one loss uh, where data is concerned or the other. Just today in the Financial Times, there's an article on um, cybersecurity issues and data loss brought on by employees working from home. So what we've seen is that there's been a massive increase for our data protection services. Um, with regards to what exactly the regulation requires, um, what the penalties are for breach, and so on and so forth. And our NDPR um, is modeled very much on the GDPR that Jennifer mentioned. And we actually have a data protection bill that uh, we hear promulgation of that into law is imminent. Another area that um, we found that uh, services have been required is employment. Um, the impact of the pandemic on business operations and contracts, health and safety issues, meant that legal services are needed for purposes of negotiating with trade unions. We're looking at um, employment terms. There's a, a whole audit going on around employment terms, as well as advice on health and safety issues, because at the end of the day, we're still very much um, in, in, in the middle of a pandemic. Now, moving to the second part of your question about um, African TMT sector being best placed to accelerate out from under COVID. Um, I've been thinking about this question, and I, I don't think I can answer the question without looking at the impact of the pandemic on the continent of Africa. Uh, we have a population of just over 1 billion um, reported cases towards the end of 2020 across the continent were 1.5 million with some 37,000 reported uh, deaths. As of today, when we're recording this podcast, the reported cases of COVID are declining. Um, the vaccine has come to some of the countries on the continent. But what the pandemic did was to expose the fragility and poor healthcare systems that some of the country, countries on the continent actually have. Um, another very sad impact of the pandemic was on education across the continent, where many children were out of school and did not have access to online classes. But what the pandemic also did was show that um, organizations and companies that were already embracing the use of technology were able to swiftly deploy that technology 
to increase the products and services that their consumers and their clients required. Um, if you look at law firms, law firms that um, were already set up with computers, uh, with Wi-Fi, etc., they were able to very quickly move to working from home. Um, when I look at the businesses uh, and how they have fared across, I mean, my, my attention is drawn to health and safety. Uh, so we had an increase in telemedicine. We already had health organizations providing telemedicine, but um, it definitely increased because um, in-person meetings uh, had to be reduced to the barest minimum. Laboratories providing COVID tests and a whole range of other medical uh, tests um, grew in terms of services that were needed. The supply of medical equipment and manufacturing of health and safety equipment, be PPE or any other uh, type of equipment that was needed, we've, we've seen all those businesses increase. Um, with regards to education, what we've also seen is a number of private schools uh, beefing up on their online capabilities so that they can provide seamless education online. Um, we've gone back to radio and TV for the deployment of education to children in the public schools. If you look at what has happened in places like Ghana, Senegal and Uganda, uh, there was heavy reliance on those types of uh, mediums for sharing of education. Um, I should also mention how businesses have been able to adapt and move to online meetings, whether it's Zoom or Microsoft or Google Hangouts. Um, we've all been able to embrace that. And uh, I see a hybrid as we move out of the pandemic, where we will have a mixture of in-person meetings and uh, online meetings, because uh, these platforms have proved to be very convenient and useful. Um, if I have time to make one more point, I will also point out that businesses like the food businesses, these are small to medium-sized businesses across the continent, also found uh, that their businesses grew. Uh, because people were not able to go out to the market, but these suppliers, these caterers were able to use mediums like Instagram and WhatsApp to showcase what it is that they can cook together with their prices. And um, a, a lot of people embraced uh, those products and services. So I think that, in a nutshell, sort of shows the growth and uh, um, how COVID has helped and impacted on these businesses. So more of a case of cracks in the cloud that may well get wider, but not quite yet accelerating out. But those 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 points that you made, and there's two that really stand out for me here that kind of typify the diversity of innovation that the continent is constantly able to present. Let's look at the radio. One of the most you know, relatively old, but broadly adopt, adopted technological innovations being utilized to continue the education of, you know, incredibly agrarian societies in a lot of respects, very distant, very non-cosmopolitan um, in the countryside, you know, but, but still finding a way, you know, getting it done. And on the flip side, we've got Instagram being utilized to, um, you know, promote what, what goods and what food services are on offer 
in 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 towns and cities. Um, I just think that it's a wonderful one-two punch example of of Africa's ability to bounce back and to find a way um, in a, in, a, in very very trying times. Sorry, I, 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 could I just chip in a point there? Of course, Sandra, go ahead. I, I, absolutely. I mean, the the radio is one of the oldest technologies and. We actually have an article called "Is the Radio Dead?" and the the answer is a resounding no. I agree, I agree too. I'm still a I'm still a a, a strong believer in the radio. Um, I love a podcast. I love Spotify, but just letting someone else do the work and just sticking on radio too <laughs> is still a guilty pleasure of mine. But Jennifer, a, a, a final question um, for you here. Now, we touch upon this in, in some of our published Q&A content that you've also kindly contributed to, and it's published on Africa Legal. But where do you see the current gaps or opportunities when it comes to UK and African lawyers working together more closely or collaboratively for the benefit of your clients? I mean, is this most effectively done on an individual bilateral basis between lawyers, you know, just like we're having today, a conversation uh, between an African-based lawyer and a UK-based lawyer? Or do you see any wider industry-wide opportunities such as think tanks, events, or client training as, as where the key focus should be? I think that's a very timely question, especially when you're looking at a sector like we are looking at today, you know, the, the rapid um, evolution of, you know, technology and the rapid pace of innovation, as Sandra articulated earlier, means that we are facing challenges and risks that are common and that are shared. You know, so if I can just give, you know, a few examples and, you know, looking back to the, 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 you know, the lockdown period that we're all kind of either still part of or coming out of, you know, has brought all our lives into the digital space and a lot of time has been spent online. Kids haven't been going to school and they've been spending a lot of time on uh, on social media. That comes with it risks. And I think of, you know, a, you know, the, 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 the proposed legislation in the UK, um, you know, in, in, in the form of the online harms paper that will soon become the online harms bill, a critical piece of legislation that I think should be, um, embraced at a global scale because who doesn't want their child to be safe when they're online? Whether you, you know, when your child is sat in South Africa or in Kenya or in London, actually the, you know, the, the, the risks are the same. And even in some cases, you know, the, um, the, the perpetrators may even be the same. You know, you could have, you know, some harm coming out of, you know, one part of the globe to, you know, to a victim in the other. So there's huge, huge areas of opportunity that come, you know, to collaborate that come from, you know, this, 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 the rapid pace of, of technological advancement. And, um, the other area, again, you know, Sandra touched on this to some extent when talking about the experience during the, during the COVID period is, um, 
you know, platform regulation and creating a level playing field. Um, e-commerce has obviously been hugely adopted, um, you know, in Europe and elsewhere and, and in the UK for, for, for a long time now, but it's really coming to its own um, in Africa now, especially as we begin to solve some of those supply chain issues that have made the, the adoption of e-commerce slower. But that's one area, again, where we could collaborate. How do we create a level playing field, for example, when you look at, you know, sort of, you know, search engines or online marketplaces that provide, um, you know, provide platforms for, you know, small, smaller kind of app developers to develop their applications and develop products that they can then sell to consumers um, through these intermediary platforms. Again, an area where Europe and the UK is currently leading the way in terms of putting in place regulation um, to level that playing field. Excellent opportunity to collaborate with with, with, with the African legal sector at this time when e-commerce is beginning to take off. And then thirdly, you know, you cannot fail to mention things like, you know, artificial intelligence, you know, blockchain and cryptocurrencies that are, again, and particularly, you know, block, blockchain and cryptocurrency that are way, way ahead in terms of adoption and use cases in Africa, more than they are actually in other parts of the world. But the challenges that arise from that and the risks that arise of that out of that will be common. And therefore, you know, Really calling out, um, you know, shout out to, um, to, to all the collaboration that's already taking place between regulators, particularly in the financial services sector, to, um, to, to, um, to address the challenges that, that the cryptocurrency, um, are presenting. So, and how do we do this, um, Thomas? I think, you know, if I look at my, position as a private practitioner and, you know, and Sandra as well, you know, and, and yourself, you know, you know, Thomas, we have a huge role to play in influencing legislation. You know, there's a very, you know, good, um, I would say there is a very good opportunity to, Begin to, to begin to influence some of these regulatory outcomes before the legislation hits our desks. You know, quite often there is a consultation period. Um, I found, you know, here in the UK that, you know, private practitioners take that a lot more seriously. You know, when there is a consultation out there, you know, a lot of private practitioners are involved on behalf of their clients and putting in the right representations in place before that legislation is enacted. I don't see enough of that from private practitioners on the continent. And I think that's a challenge I would place uh, on um, on private practitioners in Africa to sort of um, be a lot more proactive and preempt some of that legislation. I have more of a proactive voice um, in shaping and influencing that legislation. And again, within that context, there's a huge area of um collaboration opportunity there between practitioners in the UK and, 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 and practitioners in, you know, on the continent. Well, Jennifer, I'm a huge fan of ending a podcast with a with a uh, a strong call to action. It doesn't get much stronger than that. So I will bring us to a close um, with a call to action of my own, which is if you are enjoying this podcast, if you like what you have heard, if you would like to hear more from our wonderful guests, 
uh, Jennifer Baluto and Sandra Ayawoli. I'm very happy to say that they will be part of one of our panel discussions at the upcoming UK and Africa Spring Conference hosted by the UK Ministry of Justice on Thursday, the 22nd of April. And to register for that event, it could not be easier. And we will be providing the link to do just that in this podcast description. So without further ado, I will say a very big thank you once again to Jennifer and Sandra for joining me today. And as always, a very big thank you to all of our listeners. If you are new to the Africa Legal Podcast, be sure to peruse our entire back catalogue, which is available on all major podcast channels, including Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. And as always, be sure to visit us at africalegal.com for all the news, views, and insights that improve your life as a modern African legal professional. I have been Tom Pearson, and this has been the Africa Legal Podcast. Mm -hmm.